This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It hasn't happened yet. Last weekend, Dorian got in the way. Today it's the Manitoba election and tomorrow the anniversary of 9-11. The Prime Minister has until next weekend to drop the writ, but the campaign is on. Jagmeet Singh has officially launched his. Andrew Scheer does that tomorrow. In the meantime, the latest polls echo what other surveys have been saying, that the Liberals have regained the ground they lost and are gaining in Ontario and Quebec. The Conservatives are a bit behind. They are gaining in B.C., but their vote is less efficient. The first debate will be held on Thursday, but Justin Trudeau is not participating. Does that matter? On the provincial front, Labor strife is on the horizon. Now, we want to hear from you about your take on all of these developments. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I am joined by our crack strategy panel, Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hi, and welcome to you all. Hello. Hello. Hi there, Libby. Okay, let's start with Kim, because I think uh, there were most developments on the NDP <laughs> front. Uh, Jagmeet Singh has launched his campaign. He also released this uh, very interesting ad in Quebec, mm-hmm. in French, where we see him with his very long hair and as he wraps a turban, because as we've all said, the turban is an issue, uh, but the NDP numbers look really dismal, Kim. What's your view? So, look, Jagmeet had a phenomenal campaign launch on uh, Sunday evening in uh, Toronto Danforth, which is, as, as your listeners will remember, the home of Jack Layton. Uh, so it was a bit of a wink and a nod and a, and a you know, nod to, to the legacy that is the Layton legacy uh, with Olivia Chow and Mike Layton. Uh, opening up uh, the event. There were over 800 people. In fact, the overflow rooms had overflow rooms had overflow rooms. It was uh, it was remarkable. Uh, people are excited about what he what he's doing. And if you remember back to four years ago, Prime Minister Trudeau, now Prime Minister Trudeau, was a very, very distant third. People were calling for his head. We can't win without him. Uh, you know, fast forward to a campaign where Tom Mulcair was supposed to have won and he didn't bothered to show up to some some uh, some debates, didn't want to be seen as uh, as taking it on the chin or being uh, any way accountable. And, uh, you know, the results were what the results were. I think now, you know, for any sports fans out there, we've seen the preseason, we've seen the regular season. Now with the drawing up of the, the Ritz later this week, it's playoff time. Let's go Jigmeet. Okay, uh, John Capobianco, <laughs> is that a wishful scenario? That was a valiant effort from my good friend Kim. I got to tell you, she is absolutely amazing, and and, and the NDP are lucky to have her. Um, but the reality of it is this: 
um, and campaigns do matter. So, you know, at the end of the day, campaigns matter. And and Kim was absolutely right to say that that Justin Trudeau did come from third place to, to win. And at the time, Tom Mulcair was everybody was thinking, even the media, that he might have been the next the next prime minister at the time. Um, so the campaigns do matter from that perspective. But I th- I found it suspect that that Jagmeet would start a, a campaign launch in one of the safest. NDP writings in all of Canada, uh, quite frankly. I think it would have been probably better for him and more of a challenge for him to do it in a writing that or an area or a province that he was that was going to be a bit of a battle for him and, and to make us to put a stake in the ground. But nonetheless, um, I, th- I think that the issue here is um, people just haven't really been attracted to Jagmeet over the course of the last little while. Um, you know, even the time when he was a leader and didn't have a seat in the house, and then when he got a seat in the house, he just hasn't picked up people's imagination. And then it's, it's reflective in the polls. Whether or not he can change that in a 30-odd day campaign uh, is yet to be seen. But I think that what's happening now is you're seeing the Greens uh, are overtaking the NDP, and that's going to be troubling for the NDP from an existential perspective, if that's the case, so if the election happens and the Greens actually get more seats than the NDP. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said about what Elizabeth May has been saying or not saying in the last uh, couple of days. She's kind of shot herself in the foot on things like she couldn't whip her own party. Uh, she uh, she would be fine if some of her MPs reopened the abortion debate. She's welcomed, uh, you know, former quote unquote new Democrats uh, who who left the party because they were troubled by uh, instead of pushing back against racism that they were you know okay with uh, with you know letting people feel that way uh, Elizabeth May's got a lot to account for and uh, you know frankly she's no new Democrat she's frankly a conservative on a bike uh, Charles Bird let's bring you into the conversation numbers looking very good uh, along with momentum for the Liberals, does it matter that Justin Trudeau is not participating in the first debate? Um, does that make him look like he's afraid? Um, I think more people will be aware that he's not participating than will actually watch the debate. Um, I, I suspect the audience for that against Thursday night NFL football will be uh, pretty minuscule. Um but frankly, no, I don't think that's uh, that's a that's a big criteria. I think, you know, as long as he is willing to be in at least two or three debates in both official languages, he should be fine. It should give an opportunity for people to hear the different views that are being expressed by the various party leaders, all five of them going into this campaign. And just hearkening back to your previous question. Five of them. Oh, yeah. Well, you have Elizabeth, you have Jagmeet, you have Justin, you have Andrew, and you have uh, Maxime. But Maxime's not but being Maxime's allowed into not being there, but He's uh, not being allowed into any debates. But his voice will ring loudly throughout the debates, I have no doubt, <laughs> given uh, that his party is actually coming on a little bit in the polls, which, uh, which I think some people might find concerning. Yeah. Um, so what about that? We have an increase for Maxime Bernier and his People's Party and the Greens overtaking the NDP in the polling. Now you're saying she has a lot to answer for, but. And I think that will be the interesting part about this debate. You will have the three, you know, opposition leaders essentially uh, at this debate. And so people will get a sense of who they are. Uh, people like Andrew Shear, who have not actually answered a lot of questions about who he is and what he stands for. Uh, you know, that's going to be a challenge for him. The Conservatives have a big challenge with Max and Maxime Bernier in that 49% of Conservatives voted for him in the leadership. And not just in parts of Quebec, but across Canada. That is a challenge for the Conservatives to move forward and how that will factor in. But 
also because Andrew Scheer has refused to answer how he personally stands on a number of social issues, he's actually not only offended uh, conservatives of more so on the social conservative side, but you know, the the sort of the pragmatic progressive side who are like, who is this guy? Why can't he just answer questions? He's going well, to have to answer them on okay, Thursday. Okay, John. Yeah, Why I, can't he just answer questions? Even though, even if you believe him that that his personal views don't play into it and he has no intention of reopening gay marriage or abortion. Well, because I think at the end of the day, he's answered the question with, res- with respect to the key thing is, if you're prime minister, would you ever reopen the debate? And he said it no a number of times. And I think at the end of the day, people just need to know that he is not going to do that, despite whatever his personal opinions are. The key thing is, if he's if he's leader of the country and if he's a prime minister, he's not going to open the debate, but and John, that's what's key. Yeah, but he has people said that don't he believe. But still, but, but, though, but you know what? He said he why? would let the MP if the MPs but, came forward but, and did that. So it's the same which is, thing. Which is Elizabeth, perfectly fine, though. You know what? Which is perfectly fine. Stephen Harper did as well. Stephen Harper did as well. Mike, it's it's an issue that the progressives will always hit conservatives with every time to try to get them off their issues. The fact that Jack Meat's not picking up any steam. The fact that the liberals uh, have no record to run on, uh, and which is why he's missing debates. At the end of the day, Trudeau's missing debates because, quite frankly, he should be at every debate. He wanted every debate. He, he insisted when he was running for leader uh, back well, in the Well, yeah, in the be because incumbents do one thing and, and candidates do another. Well, but still, that's going to be something that the, the opposition party, certainly Andrew Scheer and others, will, will, put, will put to but him. L- 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 let me ask you this. With, with um, Andrew Scheer not coming forward... It's interesting because I believe he wouldn't reopen it because you have to be crazy to. It's, it's not a, it's, it's political suicide. But when I talk to people, they don't believe him. So why won't he just clear well, the air on his own personal opinions? Because I think from, from Andrew's perspective, he feels that his personal view aside, He's, he's talking about as, as a leader and as a, as a leader of the Conservative Party and as a future Prime Minister, he's talking about that as a key issue, saying that I promise you I won't be raising that up and I won't be doing that. Stephen Harper did and Mike Harris did as well. And he, they never, ever once uh, touched on social issues when they were leaders or premiers and leaders of their respective countries and jurisdictions. Right. But frankly, I don't believe for a minute that either Mike Harris or Stephen Harper are real social conservatives. Andrew Scheer? Yes. Uh, do you think that that's going to make when, I mean, when people finally um, make a, a decision, is is that going to be a factor? It can be. It can be among certain key demographics. I'm thinking primarily suburban women, for instance, um, you know, in the 905 especially. I mean, let's let's make no mistake. I, you know, Andrew Scheer has said he won't reopen the debate, and I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt and choose to believe him. Uh, the question is whether his caucus and his MPs will be uh, only too keen to uh, reopen the debate and bring it forward. And if Mr. Scheer is unsuccessful in the next election, he may find himself having to bend to the views of parts of his caucus. And that presents very, very real problems for him going forward. Uh, or, or some of Elizabeth May's uh, caucus members, if it's if she, as she has said, she wouldn't whip that vote. She'd let her caucus members bring it forward if she has any. And, um, you know, that, that to me is an abdication of leadership. She clearly doesn't understand what it's like to have a full, uh, full party and having to uh, move those things forward. But I mean, it, I'm it's thinking very what, concerning. What difference does it make? Especially in a minority I mean, government. 
private members' bills go nowhere almost all yeah. the time unless they're the government. On- that becomes and and you know that is a possibility. So people start to play fast and loose with some of their things that they need to cobble together majority, you know, minority government or working majority. That's concerning. I don't think it'd be an abdication of leadership. I think it's actually uh, giving respect to the people that you've given confidence to to become your MPs, and I think having them give a, have a conscience and having them be able to freely come up with an issue or deal with a debate that they feel in some way is important to them is actually part of parliament and part of democracy. And I think that allowing for them to be able to come up and do their thing, but actually having a leader who says they can do that, but we're not going to make it and we're not going to change the law, that's leadership. Well, except for if the if they bring them forward and enough people do, they could potentially change the law. And with due respect, John, uh, last I checked, you didn't have a uterus. So I'm your concerns about this being flippant and not uh, not really no, a concern is, is a bit uh, disconcerting. No, that reminds me of when concern. Richard Richard Pryor. That's not flippant uh, at all. But let me let me adjust no. that. That's <laughs> okay. not flippant. That's actually it's democracy. At the end of the day, it's democracy. It's letting also people. Vetting. It's letting people. It's letting people actually decide on their own whether or not they want to bring up the debate. But what concerns concerns me and what concerns Canadians is Andrew Scheer basically saying that if it comes up, he will not reopen it. He will not change it. That's leadership. And I trust him and I believe him. And I think most Canadians will as well. Um, the suggestion I'd- that men are not able to comment on women's issues is part of what's fueling the backlash against legitimate attempts to further women's rights. And I, Kim, I just don't think it's uh, worthy of this panel. My concern is actually that people are suggesting that these are laws, they'll be on the books forever. Frankly, it took a long time to get some of these laws on the books. Even if you look at things like, oh, right, the, the liberals have promised every election around daycare, which you still haven't seen. There are lots of things that people promise during an election campaign or kowtow to certain constituencies to to get their vote and court their vote. And then when push comes to shove, you know, well, we'll just support whatever laws on the books. Well, in Parliament, you change the laws. And that's a concern. But people are allowed well, to. But that's but, what Parliament's about, though, right? At the end of the day, Kim, people are allowed to have debates and discuss. That's part of democracy. It's part of what this country is, is sold on. And people have strong views on either side of this issue, as you do and as others do. But what's important here is that the leader of the party, of the Conservative Party, who could very well be the next prime minister, has basically said that he will not reopen this issue. He said it more than once, and I believe him, and I think that's the key thing that's going on here. And 82, 82 of your candidates have a, pro, uh, a pro-life stance, and that was part of their vetting. And, you know, the Andrew Scheer knows that and the party knows that and they're trying to play fast and loose as they are on a I number think, of social you know, issues. If, if anything, he's trying to play both both sides of the fence. I mean, uh, uh, as I said, I personally believe it wouldn't be reopened just because w- why would you? Why would anybody who's a politician reopen that? But um, again, um, my experience is just, you know, walking around talking to people is that they, they don't believe Andrew Shear on that note. Well, I'm not sure. They, I, I think they do. Right. At, at the end of the day, I think they do. And people will always have an opinion on this issue. But you can't do more than what he said, which is, as leader, I am prime minister, I will not open this debate. I can't understand why anybody would otherwise take, not take his word on that. Okay, let me give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, I am wondering, as is the rest of our panel, do you care that Justin Trudeau is not going to participate in the first debate? Do you care that Andrew Scheer will not tell us what his personal views are on abortion or gay marriage? even though he's promised not to reopen those things. Uh, yep, 
So we'd like to hear your views, and let's go to Colin in Toronto. Hi, Colin. Hello, people. How are you doing today? Fine. How are you? Excellent. Thanks. Um, there's there's really two major issues um, about why Justin Trudeau uh, is not attending. Um, uh, the SNC Lavalin thing is a secondary issue. It, it, it really doesn't hold a lot of weight. Um, he's afraid to be confronted about not having the budget balanced in 2019, which means eliminating the annual deficit. That's what that means. He hasn't done that. You know, he doesn't want to be asked about that. And uh, everybody knows the carbon tax on fuels does not reduce greenhouse gases that they emit. A lot of people, uh, it's not everybody knows. There's a big debate about that. And uh, a lot of people think a carbon tax is a good idea. Well, the thing or is, they don't care. Right. Well, the thing is, um, uh, every time the carbon tax question is put on a liberal, all they say, the only things they have to say is, well, the carbon tax encourages people and companies to conserve fuel usage. They've already been doing that for years already. And then what they do in desperation is to, is to associate a good economy with the carbon tax implementation, such as in BC. That's all they do, you know. Oh, BC's got a, you know, a good economy and, you know, and a carbon tax. So that means the carbon tax is good. Does it bother you that Andrew Scheer will not uh, tell us what he thinks on those social issues? Um, uh, that's that's um, he he really should uh, say something. It would definitely help him. Um, but uh, I think the conservatives should focus on those two issues uh, in the debates. He's Trudeau was supposed to have the annual deficit gone and a balanced budget. He hasn't done that. Okay. And the carbon tax, there's no relationship between taxing fuels and reducing the greenhouse gases they emit. Okay. Thanks, Colin. Colin? It's a lie. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. He's okay. got a, he's got a point here. I think I think where elections um, matter uh, in issues in, during election campaigns are always focused on the economy and pocketbook yeah. issues, and and I think those are are issues that drive voters to to the ballot boxes and make decisions on who they think they would be would make the better prime minister. And I think this is where the prime minister has a bit of a, a record that he needs to really defend uh, in a big way, which is the promise about the deficit from his campaign and and sort of you know increasing the deficit and now not having a plan. To even reduce it or even eliminate that is going to cause a problem because I think people will understand that even if the economy is doing okay now, will it be okay in a year or two or three from now? And I think that's the challenge. I think that's where the conservatives will will be putting the issue to the prime minister. And I think most Canadians will be focusing on that as well as immigration and carbon tax will be some of the key issues during this campaign, I suspect. Uh, So uh, do you think that Justin Trudeau wins with carbon tax? Um, it's a tricky issue. Traditionally, in elections, it has been uh, more of a hindrance than a help. Um, I think the Liberals are prepared to frame the issue in such a way that Canadians understand that they are not the ones who are going to be paying for any pricing of carbon, that there will be rebates delivered to middle-class Canadians as a result of the imposition of any carbon pricing. And there's also a reality, which is that there's been a sea change among the views of Canadians as to how real and immediate the threat of climate change is. I mean, people can see it happening around them. Most families have tangible evidence of how they or people they know have been impacted by it. It's very difficult to link climate change to something as specific 
specific is Hurricane Dorian, but most people can make a, a working assumption that there's something very serious going on here and we have to do something about it. And I think the Conservatives are on the wrong side of this issue ultimately. And so this may be one of those elections where um, the whole notion of climate change and carbon pricing actually works to the Liberals' advantage. Okay, I think, the, I think the Liberals have a challenge on a number of fronts, uh, you know, not the least of which, uh, you know, it's it's great to do the photo ops on the Paris Accord on climate change. But the fact is they haven't really stepped up uh, on on reducing our, our carbon footprint as a as a as a government uh, beyond that. We were this was supposed last election was supposed to be the last one we ever ran on first past the post. Now, you know, then they they skipped over proportional representation. We were supposed to have universal daycare. Uh, Well, you know, maybe we'll leave that to the provinces to sort out. Same with pharmacare. There's a number of things uh, that, you know, it's great you promise these things and bat pretty little eyes and give pretty words to people to make them feel better during an election campaign to woo their votes. But the reality has been that the only thing the, pro- the the federal governments have really moved on has been on cannabis, which has been not exactly as well thought out as everyone would have hoped, uh, and uh, and uh, the assisted uh, assisted suicide legislation, both of which were Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, uh, their their projects. So the prime minister has got a record problem, uh, and to suggest also that SNC is not going to be an issue, it's ethics across the board. Okay, I'm going to take a call from Tracy in Kingston, and and, uh, she wanted to tell the panel that there are no abortion laws on the books in Canada. Uh, um, Yeah, caller, uh, we know that, uh, but they can be put on the books. Hi, Tracy. Hi there. So I feel like you guys are wasting our time, and we keep on seeing this um, stuff about women's reproductive systems, and I feel strongly that, you know what, we have these laws and they're protecting us, but we have laws like, um, you know, the gun laws that, uh, that we don't have a law. There is no law in the books about abortion. Okay. So for what I mean by this is we, we need to strengthen our criminal justice system. And here we are wasting time on things like abortion and it keeps on getting brought up. Like it's jammed down our throats. I feel strongly that, um, we have these laws in place and there we live in a country where I don't think, anybody would would change them but here we are we need to change our stuff like um you know the criminal justice system the toronto is is gone crazy lately with gun issues we have major issues that aren't being addressed and i just feel like abortion isn't the number one issue and this keeps on getting brought up and and jammed down all of our throats but we really need to be hearing the prime minister at a debate on how he's going to say what he's going to do for um, the criminal justice system, how he's going to strengthen us and how he's going to protect us, not bringing up the abortion issue time and time again. Okay, Tracy, uh, I'm going to let our panelists respond. Thanks for your call. I think the caller has a very interesting point and a very good point. And, and also, she's a female and, 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 and she's sort of, you could sort of feel the frustration from her perspective with respect to this issue. But I think the key thing here is that there are other issues that Canadians want to hear about. That, that the abortion issue is something that is always going to be brought up. It'll always be brought up by the opposition against the conservative. And it always has from the day I've been involved in politics and the conservatives, no matter what they say, they will never be believed. But there are other issues that are key in this, in this world. Not, not least of which, of course, is the gun laws, not least of which is the economy, not least of which are the ethics rules and all that stuff. And I think that her point is there are other issues that we need to be debating and talking about during this election campaign. 
look, we've got a lot of healthcare challenges in the in this country as well as a lot yeah. of social issues in this country, but all of it boils down to equal access to services and equal opportunities uh, to access those services in a safe legal setting. And that is not consistent across Canada. And that is a concern. And that will continue to be a concern until those, you know, the, that access is there. On the rest of it, I think the fact that the, the much ballyhooed uh, housing strategy by the federal government that is, in fact, less than the housing money that the Harper government put in is, frankly, an abomination and abdication of, of leadership. Uh, you know, it's great to put out a press release, but the devil is in the details. And frankly, Canadians and Torontonians in particular are tired that they're not shovel-ready projects. All of those go back to some of our social problems that we have in this in this province and in this country. Uh, and and it's great to do a press release, but it's time to actually move on these things. Okay. Uh, we're starting to run out of time and 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 here's um here's what i think has to happen soon uh you're all talking about policy which is obviously really important john how do you think uh andrew shears commercial uh, what do you think of it how do you think he looks in it and what do you think he has to show in the debate well, I think there's a there's a humbleness about about Andrew Shear, and I think what he's trying to portray to Canadians and and, and uh, is to say I'm not Justin Trudeau, I'm not this celebrity, you know, uh, rich kid, you know, that that is now the prime minister and and whatnot. And I think what he's trying to say is I'm come from a, mo- a modest middle class family. Um, I am somebody who is going to be looking after you and and making sure that your issues get put forward. And I think that's the kind of message you're going to get from an Andrew Shear. He's not, you know, there's no flash at the end of the day with Andrew, but there's a substance about him. And there's somebody who you can sort of look and say, you know what, I feel comfortable with this guy that he's going to represent us not only here, but internationally well. Charles, how do you think he came off in that ad? And what do you think he has to do? You mean Andrew or the Prime Minister? I mean Andrew. (laughs) Um, Is the Prime Minister of an ad yet, Charles? You know, it's, um, yeah, he's got a terrific ad. It Um, it was the one time he's been on a bus that he hasn't thrown somebody (laughs) under. Okay, let Charles speak. Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, I'm obviously biased. I think the conservative... You all are, come on. I've seen a lot of rotation. Uh, I've seen it, uh, certainly ran against the US Open, as you may have seen it a few hundred times. Right. But it speaks to a fundamental conservative problem, which goes with having a first-time leader um, who has not run and led his party before and that is that people just don't know him and so it's a race to see who can sort of brand him who can define him and the amount of time we've spent talking about social issues and abortion suggests that that fight is very much underway um i found the ad to be a little bit dated in terms of the messaging i found the ad to be a little bit stilted he comes across as someone who's not entirely comfortable in his own skin and that's perhaps understandable. I mean, it's it's really, really difficult leading a political party into an election campaign at the federal or provincial level for the first time. It comes with enormous psychological pressure. It comes from enormous pressure from your colleagues, from the media. Everybody's got a view of how you can be doing things better. People are shouting at you. People are writing things about you. It's all happening in real time in social media. And it's it's really, really difficult to see your way through that. And he's going to have to find his way through that in real time under the glare of the media and public spotlight. And that is not easy. 
Does he look prime ministerial, whatever that means? You know, the the sheer ads, I'm not sure that he's yet shown his uh, royal jelly, so to speak. But look, there there will be a big spotlight on all of them. People rise and fall during the glare of an election campaign, I have to say, from the ad uh, ad standpoint, and trying to look at this also, you know, somewhat objectively. <laughs> you know, look, there is no question that the, that the ads that uh, Jagmeet has run uh, introducing himself in Quebec uh, has been powerful. It's powerful when you, as as most people see a lot of those ads, they're on mute. Uh, they're in, you know, where they live and wherever the TVs are showing. And it, it still is a compelling ad. It shows who he is and why he's doing the things he does and being surrounded by people and and putting together him, uh, putting together his turban, but also, you know, his, his boxing gloves, his MMA gloves, that he's there to uh, showcase who he is, what his values is, and who he's actually fighting for. Okay. Uh, what do we need to watch for in the coming week? Aside from the debate, obviously, John. Starting with John. Well, I think I think the debate is going to be an interesting one. I think it, I think it, the fact that the that the prime minister is not going to be at it does give uh, the opposition leaders a chance for them to be able to kind of shine and and put their message forward and and hopefully. And I do agree with Charles that you know I'm a big football fan. It'll be a big a big challenge to see which which debate I'll be watching or which uh, which program I'll be watching. But I think for sure it's an opportunity for the opposition parties leaders to to actually shine and and put their uh, stories forward. But I also think. Where the leaders start their campaigns effectively, where the, which province are going to be in, what their key message is right off the bat are things that you should be watching for. Charles? Um, I think the, the number one storyline that's quickly emerging is the, the collapse of the NDP and whether they are facing a near extinction event, whether mm-hmm. Elizabeth May, who um, has done a very, very credible and remarkable job of moving the Green Party forward um, from a virtually a standing start, is something that continues. That could very much be in evidence Thursday night, how the two of them go at each other, because I think Kim's made it clear that the, the NDP won't hesitate to take a knife to the Green Party wherever humanly possible. Um, the bigger question, and vice versa, it appears. And vice versa. It's not taking a knife, Charles. But the bigger it's question, the problems. bigger question, Libby, is really it goes to the the front runners, if you will, which is the Liberals and the Conservatives. And and right now the numbers are very very close in terms of national polling averages, but the vote efficiency does favor the Liberals at the moment, and that's why you're hearing so much talk about the possibility of the Liberals recapturing another majority government. It's early days. It's way too early to tell. We've all been through campaigns. We know better than to make any sort of predictions without the the hustle and bustle of the campaign actually taking place. But those are the things to watch for. Okay. And Kim, for the next week. To continue the football analogy, right? You can have all Mm -hmm. the hype you want, but you got to play football. And, uh, you know, these guys have to show up. The Cleveland Browns had all the hype in the world going into this and everyone was already crowning them, which is great, except for they got blown out in the election. So there is so much time left. There is so much opportunity over the next 41 days uh, for Canadians to get to know each of the party leaders and to see how they respond to the intangibles that always come up during a campaign and and how they really react to Canadians, but also how they react to the media and to and to the scrutiny that they'll be under. No one asked them to put their names on this ballot. They chose to do that. There is a scrutiny that comes with that. And we'll see how they respond. If you're going to be a G7 leader, you better be able to show up. Okay. That's all the time we have. We will be back here next week with more from the Strategy Panel. Thank you so much, Charles Bird, Kim Wright, and John Capobianco. Thank Thank you. you.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.